You know, it always um, strikes me as interesting that we begin the summer where we think of lightness and life and joy and being outdoors and all that with this holiday where we recognize the incredible um, purchase from people's lives to allow for us to have that kind of freedom to love and to um, be loved and to worship as we do. So I'm going to ask if you have had any connection with the military in any way, would you stand? Uh, we would like to recognize you. I hope you can take that in. And I know Memorial Day is really in memory of those who have actually spilled blood and given their life. But I also know that some of you who have been involved in this have carried some deep wounds as a result of um, being in those situations. And so um, we remember that and are grateful for that. So um, I'm going to ask you all to stand if we would and we will pray for these um, within our congregation those of you on uh, live stream and, uh, and those who um, throughout this nation have given their lives for, um, for this opportunity to worship. Father, thank you. We are grateful for people who go the extra mile, who um, follow through in very difficult situations, who are called into places of incredible hardship and even give their lives. And so, God, we pray right now and thank you for those who have given their lives. Uh, And we also remember that underneath all of that is a reality that you have given your life, that we would not just experience the beauty of what it means to live in a, in a world that you have placed around us, but God, you have given us your life so that we could be in relationship with you. So God, we thank you and we praise you and we um, just pause before we begin into the summer to give you thanks for this. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I do also think it's interesting that we bookend the other side of this fun, fun and frolic with Labor Day, right? <laughs> Honoring people who have worked really hard um, to help us in some ways as a nation to get to where we're at. So it's an interesting combination of how we begin and how we end. Um, I uh, am familiar with, haven't seen them all, but you've seen uh, a number of these what I call farmers insurance commercials. Anybody familiar with these farmers insurance commercials? It's over the past several years they have actually produced some clever kind of commercials. Uh, a, a campaign to try and help people trust them, so to speak. And they feature stories of animals who have gone wild or bizarre car accidents, um, claims from homeowners that make what they call the hall of claims. And each commercial concludes with a tagline. It's kind of a punchline that says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. 
The tagline communicates this idea that they have both knowledge and experience, and so in a sense they are wise, and they're asking you to recognize that and to trust them with decisions and with whatever you may be giving them with regard to business. They know, they say, because they've seen a lot. So I want you to take a moment and think of a couple things that you've seen, experienced, or in some way learned, okay? Maybe in the past 90 days. Something that you have seen or learned or experienced has made a difference. And In fact, if you reflected on it and you were in conversation with someone who may be going through something similar, you would be able to bring that into the conversation because you have known and experienced a few things, right? You've seen those things. So think of it. Maybe it's an illness. It could be an extended job search that you've been on. It could be a rejection letter that you received and how you process it. It could be a divorce or a marriage struggle. It could be having a baby and raising two kids under five. It could be figuring out a Medicare plan, putting a wedding together, or it could be on the opposite side of that as you care for aging parents and seek to find some kind of health care facility for them. I would guess that it would be true that you could say that you know a thing or two because you have what? Seen and experienced a thing or two. Now that doesn't mean you can just shove your wisdom down their throat, but what it means is that you can, in a sense, be able to relate to some degree and say, I've gone through an experience like that. And if they're willing and they're open and they, they ask, you have opportunity to speak into their life in a way that could really help them and maybe cause them to go through, through some things that you maybe went through that um, they may not have to do so in the same way. Well, I was looking for kind of what tied Proverbs 8 together. The part of the, the, the um, work of a pastor is to look at these passages of scripture, chapter after chapter, kind of figure out, you know, chapters were added later, right? So you're trying to figure out what the thought pattern is, and specifically because chapters make it easier for people to kind of find the place in the Bible, you kind of go, okay, how does this hang together? And we've been looking at chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. We've been looking at different things that kind of help them cohere. And the very first chapter we talked about is just living with this interactive relationship with God because you know best the things that you interact with. And it says to go ahead to God to find wisdom. And then we go through all these. We look at temptation in chapter 7. And then chapter 8 comes to this chapter. And I, I struggled, except for there's something as you read it, and we'll read it in a, a second, that's um, very personal about it. It's, it's wisdom personified. It'd be as if wisdom was a person talking to you in a conversation. And as you are in a place where you're going through something right now in your life, it is like God saying to you, I have wisdom for you. I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And so that's how we kind of frame this. So let's look at this um, in, in chapter 8. And it begins, and I'll read to you the first uh, uh, 11 verses. 
a lot of verses. Um, we'll go through these somewhat quickly. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud to you, all people. I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple and you can gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. So, that's the first call of this very personal sense of of God saying wisdom will provide this. And as I looked at this passage of scripture... I looked at this idea that wisdom shows up in everyday life. And if you, you read this, you'll see that um, wisdom is all around you. In fact, what it claims here in the first three verses is very similar to chapter 7 when it comes to temptation. In chapter 7, when it comes to temptation, it says, Then came a woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. And she was loud and her feet never stayed at home. Now in the street, now in the squares and at every corner she lurks. This idea that temptation is everywhere, it's around every corner. So be careful. Well, when you come to this passage of scripture, you read that, and I'm going to read from the Message Bible, these first three verses specifically. Do you hear Lady Wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam Insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at first and main, at the busiest intersection, right in the city square where the traffic is thickest. She shouts. Just like you had kind of lady temptation, now you have lady wisdom. And I, I, I love this idea. She's on first and main, the busiest intersection. The whole idea here is that God wants to speak to you in your everyday life. Wisdom is not something you have to wait for till you just go and read God's word or on a Sunday morning hoping maybe the pastor will speak to something or God will speak to you about something. It is available, says God, at every corner, at every intersection in life. In fact, not only that, it's calling out to people who want to hear. And so what makes wisdom so wonderful is that it's found everywhere. And that God would like to speak to you right now and throughout the day. If you're willing to pay attention, if you're willing to seek him and live in a humble relationship open to him. Now it doesn't happen right away, but it is that opportunity for you as you seek out wisdom to be able to be spoken to by God about your situation. He can use all kinds of different ways to do so. I was um, been reading a book and and we're going to do this in the fall, Beth um, Moorhead who is, uh, one, as many of you know, is one of our counselors on staff, does a lot of work with families. Um, we are going to go through a book called The Whole Brain Child. And one of the things it says here, in here that I really like, it, it talks about for parents, there is this sense that wisdom occurs all the time throughout your day. He, he makes this point, um, Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, 
if um, any of this sounds familiar, this idea that you've been trying to, to survive, he sets up this scene. He says, you've had those days, right, when this, there's sleep deprivation, the muddy cleats, the peanut butter on the new jacket, the homework battles, the Play-Doh in your computer keyboard, and the refrains of, she started it, leave you counting minutes until bedtime. It seems like the most you can hope for is to survive. However, when it comes to your children, you're aiming at a lot higher than mere survival. Whether you're a parent or a committed caregiver or a grandparent, any of these, your ultimate goal is to raise kids in a way that lets them thrive. And so how do you do that in the midst of surviving? This can be true also in your own life, not about raising kids. It can be in your work world. It can be in all these different things. He says, if any of this sounds familiar, we've got some good news for you. The moments you are just trying to survive are actually opportunities to help your child thrive. I don't care if it's in your work world or in, in a marriage. Or, those are opportunities when you come into those kinds of difficulty where God is calling out for wisdom. And, and what's important is how you seek it out and what you do to seek after God in that wisdom. And so he says, when your child is disrespectful and talks back to you, when you are asked to come in for a meeting with the principal, which parents don't you love, anyway, when you find crayons scribbles all over your wall, These are survived moments, no question about it. But at the same time, there are opportunities, even gifts, because a survived moment is also a thrive moment where the important, meaningful work of parenting takes place. I share that as a particular illustration to share with you in a wider way what the Word of God seems to be saying here is that God's wisdom is all around you. And part of what God allows for us is to go through those survive testing kind of times in order that he can give us wisdom to help us thrive. Now, we're going to have survival times where we just eke it out, but it doesn't mean that you don't, in the midst of that, look for those ways that God will give you wisdom. For instance, some common places where I think wisdom shows up is in family system issues. Um, Sometimes when you're in a family situation, and let's just say you have a rebellious child, um, one of the things that you can do is to kind of load the shame on that child and everyone else is going to be okay and the other kids are good, but you have one who's just, if you go into counseling and you go into looking at systems, you'll find that possibly what's happening there is that child has a message for the rest of the family because it's carrying the shame when others don't. And it, there's, I won't even get into that, but don't look at situations so narrowly, so myopically. They are opportunities to go, okay, if something's going here, we probably need wisdom. We need to seek some counsel. We need to understand maybe there's something bigger that's going on. Work situations. When you find yourself in a work situation, there is an opportunity for you to externalize and always look at the problem being out here. But if you kind of get some of the same things coming up and showing up in every work situation you move to, you better pay attention. That's wisdom's opportunity. There's indulgences. Is it merely a difficulty um, with some unruly appetites? It may be that as you try to survive, whatever it may feel like you could be addicted to, that underneath that is something with regard to a desire and appetite that is based on some kind of wounding or hurt. That's what this point is. 
Wisdom is all around you. And then, and then he goes on and he says in those verses um, 4 through 5, God's wisdom is available to everyone. He calls to everyone, not just, to, not just some. He says, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. God isn't into favoritism. There aren't just some people that are special and lucky who somehow have uh, more smarts and intelligence, who are maybe more popular in God's eyes. Not at all. Every one of us, God says, he's willing to speak to. James chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, if you're going through a difficult time, here's my paraphrase. If anyone longs to be wise, God will give you wisdom. He doesn't see your lack of wisdom or the situation you've gotten yourself into as an opportunity to scold you or to tell you, I told you so. God sees as an opportunity to teach you, to help turn you with a humble desire to learn and grow. Just make sure you aren't double-minded, says the scripture. If you're going to come, come with a real desire to listen and apply. So one of the things I want us to do, I want us to stand for a moment. I think it's very appropriate with all that's been going on in the world. I'm sorry. When I think of innocent children just being shot. I really want to believe that God would hear our cry for wisdom. And I don't want to politicize any of this. I just want to say, God, we need you. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to have just a moment of silent prayer. Father, I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm sick and tired of all the fighting and positioning and, and all the people trying to argue around this. God, we need you to stop this. We need your wisdom. We need your wisdom when it comes to knowing how to move forward as a people. As legislators um, write laws and think through what needs to be done. I know every one of us have our opinions on this, but God, I don't care about our opinions. We're asking that you would give us wisdom we're praying that these things would humble us enough to stop fighting and cry out. So would you take a moment in your heart, quietly, silently before God, and, and just offer him your prayers. It could be about this, it could be for the parents, it could be for, I don't care, whatever God leads you. Would you take a moment and pray?
God, hear our prayers. And we join our prayers with the prayers of many. It's not just not our nation, God. I just think of all the innocent lives that are dying in a war. I think of all the innocent lives who will be dying because of food shortages. God, we pray that what we see and what we experience would humble us enough to cry out. And and even if you continue to move in this direction, that we would faithfully, as your people, follow you and allow for grace and truth to live in our lives, even in a dark time. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. It goes on in verses 6 through 11 and talks about God's wisdom being trustworthy and valuable. And I I like how it begins. It says, I have important things to say to you. Why? Because what I'm going to tell you is right and true. It is that call again, like the farmer's insurance that says, hey, I know a thing or two because I have seen a thing or two. And I will not lie to you about this. I will give you the truth. And, And the whole point here is because God's wisdom is profitable because it is trustworthy. There is no deception. He wants to give helpful advice in your situation. There's nothing devious or crooked about it. It's plain and clear. So many of the commands of the word of God are just plain and clear. You ever get bad advice? You know, advice that isn't wholesome, it's not really for your well-being, do you ever get um, devious advice? You can get bad advice that isn't consciously, someone can give you just bad advice and they could still care about you. You can get devious advice, which is something that is a little different. Their motives then are more to hurt you. You can actually get confusing advice. But what God says is, I'm not going to give you anything that's unwholesome. I am not going to give you anything that's crooked or devious. And, and I'm also going to give you things that are plain and true. So God's wisdom is always for our benefit. Out of pure motives. And you ask why? Because he really, really, deeply, deeply loves you. He really loves you. He loves your marriage. He loves your children. He loves your parent. He loves your grandchildren. God is full of love. And the reason he wants to give us his wisdom is because he knows a thing or two, right? And, and so sometimes he'll give us wisdom and calls us to do things that make no sense. In, in Mark chapter 1, verses 41 through, uh, verses 40 through 44, there's this story that, uh, that we're told by the gospel writer Mark about Jesus. He says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. This is Jesus' response to anybody in a situation where they're hurting and struggling. He reached out his hand and touched this person no one else would touch. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And then just said, be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, how would you feel? Wouldn't you go, wow, I cannot wait to tell everyone. In fact, I'm going to start running down the road. I'm jumping up and down. I am entering back into the lives of people. I've been banished on my own, away from people. When I had good things happen, even when I was in this leprous state, I could, you know, get excited about it, but I wasn't able to share it with anyone. And Jesus sent him away, listen to this, at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, we're told, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed out in lonely places. Yet the people came from him, to him from everywhere. What I find really interesting in just that little passage of scripture is here's a guy who's out in the lonely places and Jesus says, please, would you just go back to your town, tell your priest, have him go ahead. He was the doctor, the modern day doctor, and and declare you as healthy and, and, and then you can talk to anybody else in your town. But I don't want you to tell him on the way through these other towns because what he didn't know, what didn't maybe make sense to the guy was this simple command that I, says Jesus, want to go into these towns not as a miracle worker but really one who speaks truth and wisdom and wants to see hearts and lives transformed and changed. So if you would do that for me, and he calls him to do it. There are going to be commands in your life that the Lord gives you that make no sense, that go against the trend of culture. In fact, there's a whole bunch of them right now, such as in the word of God says, don't have sex before marriage. Because God wants you to be prepared for a child just in case. But you go, it doesn't matter right now, we can, you know, be protected. There's another reason. And, And I counsel this with young guys. Often, one of the reasons you don't want to do is because you have these chemicals that begin to to go off in your head when you're having sex that that create a bond that's deeper than just what you really might know. And and it clouds maybe your desire to really get to know one another. The, The word of God has reasons for this. He says don't live together before getting married. There's that, you go, well, Why? Sometimes doesn't make sense. Studies seem to indicate on a pretty regular basis that there is a reason that the vow of a marriage commitment doesn't, you still have to fulfill it, but that vow said publicly before God and others somehow makes a difference in that commitment. Don't live to please people. Start looking at your approval addiction. Don't lie. Ever. And we do. Don't tell white lies or shade the truth. It says in the word of God to give. Give of your time and give of your resources as a way of demonstrating that you live before a generous God. And so there's just a whole lot of things that might not make sense. God's wisdom, as you go on, um, is... Important here because it gives you um, good companions to live with. So I'm going to read again from this passage of Scripture, chapter 8, verses 12 through 21. I wisdom dwell together, listen to companions, with prudence, and I possess knowledge and discretion. So these are my roommates, okay? Can't get wisdom without getting these as your roommates. 
To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all the nobles who rule on the earth. And this is a good one to underline. I love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So, quickly, this personal wisdom comes to us and says, you know what, if you find me, you will also get these great friends. You see it in the life of Jesus. With you will be knowledge and discernment and it'll bring you into a circle of friends where you will have good judgment and, and you will begin to have the ability to see right from wrong. It is the kind of things that kings are known to have in their circle. They bring advisors, hopefully, around them. That's what this passage says. As you go on to verses 17 through 21, God's wisdom not only has what I would call good companions, good roommates, God's wisdom produces good results. And I like this verse that I said you could underline, verse 17. I love all who love me. Those who search me will surely find me. Proverb after proverb, if you go through these first nine chapters, will every once in a while just stop and say, get wisdom, seek wisdom, search for wisdom, long for it as you would for finding a diamond or, or accumulating gold or some kind of mon- money that you're searching after in your career or job. If you would search after me like you do that, if you would long for me like you were longing for a treasure, this is the treasure that will give you more than money can buy. But it's not just about us searching and loving wisdom. It's about wisdom loving us. So he says that I, I love those who love me. It is a sense that wisdom wants to be chased. And when you get into the arms of wisdom, you get far more than you ever would have imagined. Think about the picture of wisdom loving you. Wisdom saying, I just want to give myself for you. I, I want to pour out my life for you. I want, to, I want all the things that wisdom has, I want you to have. That's, that's the picture. That's the offer. I want to look for ways to bless you. Proverbs 8.19 goes on, My gifts are better than gold, even the surest gold. My wages better than sterling silver. There are just some things money can't buy. Can't buy a good marriage, less stress, Right? It can't buy those intangibles. So 20 and 21 says, I walk in righteousness to passive justice. Those who love me will inherit all the wealth. I will fill their treasures. And then he goes on in verses 22 through 31. And I'll read these. These are probably the more well-known verses in this chapter. This is where wisdom becomes most personally alive. These verses are often taken for who Jesus is. It's like Jesus in flesh. And I'll explain that in a moment. 
It goes on and it says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. Where there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place. Before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its field or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundaries so waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in the whole world, delighting in mankind. It's that picture of he would get done and he'd go, wow, that was good. It's the picture here of Jesus with his father in work with the this Holy Spirit, crafting, designing everything. And like a master craftsman, he gets done, he goes, wow, that was good. And then he got done and he made you and he goes, wow, that is really, really good. All the the self-hatred that you feel toward yourself is not God's voice. He looks at you and goes, wow, you're good. And so as he looks at this picture, he gives you this idea. That's where you get this real idea of, I know a thing or two because I actually made these things or two. And so wisdom, and, and most scholars will talk about this kind of pointing to Christ. And one of the reasons they do is because it, they see it as a picture of Christ because Paul presents it that way in Colossians. He actually, um, a lot of these kind of ideas are connected in Colossians. Uh, and so Bible scholars will talk about this. But you read this and you go, but wait a second, because if you, anybody ever had Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or um, even Unitarians ever come to your door? Unitarians don't really care as much. Okay, let's just say Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. See, if they came to your door, they would tell you, oh, sure, Jesus is, is a, a son of God, a son of God. Yeah, we believe that. In fact, we, he was the first of all creation. He was wisdom itself. If you read Proverbs 8, it actually says he was created. And you go, oh, wow, how do I, how do I answer that one? Well, first of all, you have to note that Proverbs 8 is poetic language, Okay? And, and so it's not literal language, it's poetic language. But you also have to think about it for a second. Wisdom has always been a part of God. It's a silly thing to think that wisdom was separate from God in one sense. That's why you can tell it's poetic. If God created wisdom, then what was he before he was created? Think about it. He was probably then stupid, right? Doesn't make sense. Did he create wisdom through non-wisdom? It's the idea that one of God's attributes, wisdom, gets personified, and that personification even seems best when you look at the life of Jesus. Again, Jesus, God in flesh, personified. Here he walks with us, and so he has been with us from the beginning. As John 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When they try and say, no, it was a God in this passage of Scripture, just so you know, the Greek grammar does not allow for that. It is the Word. It doesn't say he was a God. It says he was the God. There's a a definite article that you, you can't erase and change. And then if you get to Colossians 1, 15 through 16 and 20, it says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. I'm not reading, read all of this, 
But for God, in all his fullness, was pleased to, to, to dwell or live in Christ. And so Paul is making this um, statement that coheres even with Proverbs 8, which is poetic language. So let me put it this way. Some of you are, are probably into baseball starting up again, right? And some of you maybe like the Twins. Anybody here like the Twins? Okay. Well, let me put it this way. Um, how many of you have actually personally met a twin? Not, not, I mean a Minnesota twin. Okay, okay. A few of you have. Okay. See, the difference between watching the Twins on TV or even going to a game and watching from the stands, there's a difference between that and actually meeting one and, and experience that person and talking with them and shaking hands. There's an experience that you would have with a Twins player that you are meeting them in the flesh, not just observing from a distance. So in a similar way, what this passage is saying is you can hear about God's wisdom from afar. You can read about God's wisdom. You can talk about God's wisdom. But to actually encounter wisdom itself, you have to encounter Jesus. That's kind of, you have to encounter this, this actual being, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To know Jesus, and then in that sense, is to know wisdom. That's what Paul is saying, because Jesus fulfills wisdom, and he embodies wisdom. He was here before it all began, and he's here right now, he says, to give you wisdom in life. So, as we look at that passage, that's an important part of it, and I'm just going to kind of conclude here with the last part, is it's just the blessing in life that it's promised, and you personally are involved in a relationship with God, interacting with him, like I've said, where you open your heart to wisdom. It ends by saying in verse 32 through 36, and the worship team, you can come up now. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, listen to my instruction, and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the person who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. I'm going to ask you to kind of prepare your hearts as we um, take together communion. We, we sang about this new wine and we, we sang about um, how this life of Jesus has been given for us so that we can know him. I'm going to ask just if you would bow your heads and if you would take this communion cup um, and just hold it for a second, would you? This is just another symbol that Jesus said to do on a regular basis to remember that he personally lived in the flesh, had blood running through his veins. The God of this universe loves you so much that this body, which is represented by this wafer, and this blood, which is represented by the juice, was actually broken and poured out for you. Forgiving all your sin, making you whole and clean so that you can be in a relationship with him. And all you need to do is trust. Trust is a lot like what you're going to do in a moment. It is actually taking and 
in chewing on this wafer. It is actually drinking this juice. It is a, it is a moment of just reception. You didn't make this meal. You didn't go out and put it in this plastic. You didn't do any of that. You have just taken it and you will receive it. And I'm going to ask you again, to, as you take this and you receive this, and you posture yourself once again say, Jesus, I, I want to live for you. I want to seek you. I want you to remember that prior to even all that, just like it says, wisdom says, I love you as you seek after me. You will experience his love. But his love is there waiting for you to receive it. His wisdom is there waiting for you to receive it. And I don't know what he's commanding you to do. I don't know what he's saying right now in your personal situation. But as you've listened and the Holy Spirit may have just prompted you, maybe he's corrected you, maybe he's moved you to a place of beginning to think about something differently, whatever it is, maybe he's counseling you in the sense to get counsel for your marriage or to, to look at your family situation. Whatever it might be, wherever you are at, wherever Jesus is speaking, would you ask him for more and receive it because it is his love expressed to you as we take this communion receive again his goodness and his grace his empowering presence just take this little cup if you would and you just gotta click it and if your fingers are nimble enough you can pull back this wafer and I ask you to hold it because it is this which represents the body of Christ. And he looked at his disciples and he said, I want you to eat this, I want you to partake of this, I want you to do this. When you do this, remember me. Remember that I lived in the flesh. I came so that you could see and watch and know and understand. And I came so that you would receive me and I could live in and through you and strengthen you. So take this and receive this as God's love for you. having as much trouble as I am getting this top off, but I am, so. In the same way, he says, this, this, this juice, it's, it's more than juice. As you receive it, remember, this is a miracle. The presence of God is here with you. It is through this Memory of recalling what Jesus did, it is applied in your heart in a way that is new and fresh today. If you want to receive his grace, he just says, I want you to let it spill into your life this morning. I want you to know that it's not about how good you are or what you have done or, or any of that. It's about my blood washing away all the stuff, all the junk and for you once again experiencing and the reason he wants us to do this again and again is because we are people who get dirty that's why you take showers and baths right and we just confess to the Lord our sin and we say thank you and we receive it and he says take and drink this and remember me as you do so
Father, thank you. Establish us as people of grace, full of it, and hungry for truth, living it humbly.